This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The Timeless Podcast Company present this podcast. In immersive sound design. Welcome to Did I Ever Tell You the One About MF Doom Podcast. The season has been all about the history of Daniel Dumoulay and how he came from a seaside town in Long Beach, Long Island to becoming one of, if not the most enigmatic and iconic images and MCs in the history of rap music. Suggest that if you are coming to this episode first, that you stop and go back to episode one and familiarize yourself with Daniel so you can understand how we got to this point here. Zevlov X, aka MF Doom, has now left New York City and is staying with Big Ben at Howard University. The music he created in Harlem has followed him, but Doom has another challenge how to create music and remain unseen. To do so, he would need to not only create another MC moniker separate from his KMD days, Zevlov X, but also to be invisible. To enter graffiti legend, hip-hop's original curator of culture, as far as I'm personally concerned, Keo. Keo shares with us how he and Doom met. Well, it was bugged out because I knew Search since 1980, 81, high school, and Sake, Lover, I knew even before that. So I knew all these cats, but I left New York in like 86, and I was gone for 10 years. So that second generation that came out of that, meaning, you know, Curious and, and KMD and MF Grimm, I had never actually met these cats, though I had heard some of the music. I used to get tapes of Stretch and Bob's show. So I was familiar with, with some of the newer underground artists, but we didn't have a, a relationship. So when I came back to New York, I want to say it was 96, 10 years later, and I was on the humble. I was kind of broke and looking for work. And I used to go by Bobito had a little store called Footwork. You know, they say you hang around a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut, right? So I was hanging around all these record labels and people trying to get um, some illustrations work, whatever, do t-shirts, you name it. Bob only did white labels up until that point. So one day I'm in there and, um, you know, I'm bugging out with the TCK kids, you know, Vaz and Doves and all of them. It's my people. So Bob was talking to Doom and Doom was like, yo, I really want to do something special with this album and, and, and go all out with the artwork. And do you know any artists? And Bob kind of pointed to me like, yo, my man right here is an ill artist. And me and Doom began talking. I had no clue who he was. I didn't make the connect with KMD or any of that. And But we clicked immediately. We bonded on some just, you know, he's, he's a funny cat. We used to joke and it was this deeper thing, you know? I believe it's only cats who have been through great loss and pain in their life and struggle and made it back from that. 
doom was like a cat who had it, lost it all, and got it back again. In those kind of cats that we just bonded, cause I myself have been through some things, you know? And this was like a second lease on life for both of us. We were both coming back in the game on the humble at the same time and had no clue, you know, that what we were doing was gonna um, touch so many people or where would, you know, it's still the potential of that project, <laughs> Operation Doomsday, you know, who knows the ripple effects. Here's Big Ben on Doom working with Keo, who he calls Blake because Keo's real name is Blake. I just remember, you know, they, they writing all night, they tagging, they doing all type of shit. I remember the first time I went there, Bill took me there. You know what I'm saying? After a certain time, it'd be like, yo, I'm about to, yo, meet me down there at Kill House, you know what I mean? Meet me at Blake House, like shit like that. But they they had this thing like they got busy, like Bill get busy, Kill get busy. And, and the thing I like about Kill is he's fucking human, yo. The bro is ill, he's ill, like he's like a superhero ill when he do shit, like, but he's human. I love, I love Blake for that. He's mad human, you know? I remember Blake going through his shit when he was going through his shit. You know what I'm saying? Blake got a dope-ass wife. Blake, you know, but I remember he took himself through. We all take our stuff, you know? But he was always there, human, open arms for Bill. You know what I mean? Regardless of what stage he was at, Bill was always had mad love for that brother. So, with that being said, when Bill Will's turning after the fact when we already had these conversations in D.C. and now Bill's coming to New York more and I'm coming with him sometime or I'm meeting him there sometime, He's at Keo's house and getting shit done. There was a brotherly love and connection between Keo and Doom. Keo explains it this way. Immediately, like, we started talking and realized that we were family. We were connected. So immediately, me and Doom began um, to click. And so whenever he would be in New York, he would stay with me. We were basically roommates because he was... um recording in New York. He was doing shows in New York. He was doing business in New York. So I was his his second crib and we would just bug out and work on artwork and, and rhyme and, and joke and, and drink until the wee hours. And all his first shows, I got to go along, you know? And I never knew, you know, what we were doing. He'd be like, yo, Keo, come on, I gotta go spit this verse. And we would wind up at um, LP's house and, and in the basement and recording on some posse cut. And he'd be like, yo, I gotta run over here and you wanna come? And we just bounced around the city, man, taking tags and doing throw ups and, and you know, drinking and, and bugging out. And, um, that really became my brother, you know? I have older friends and they're people who know Doom long before I do and go much deeper with him to the KMD days and, you know, but I don't know as many people that I felt that bond with that I really got close like that. Like, you know, family, man. So by the time I go there with him one other time, he telling me about some shit that he already working on. Oh shit, this nigga Blake. Oh no, look at the shit that Blake did. And I'm like, oh shit, yo, what you want? You want? And I remember, yo, Blake adding shit with my shit with the Ben Grimm character and all that. That's just two ill dudes that come together, and they thinking some shit. Blake can think of some shit that be like, whoa, and make 
they Vil be like, yo, and Vil don't say yo to anything. Like Vil don't get, he don't get hype or shit, cause he, you know, whatever. That's how he is. But 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 there's a chance that Blake might do some shit and be like, yo, that shit, ew, yo, Ben, look at this shit right here. This nigga crazy, like you know what I mean. So that's how ill Blake is. The idea of the mask was a perfect way for MF Doom's persona to be hidden in plain sight giving Daniel the perfect coverage of being able to perform and give the audience and himself a way to be seen and unseen. Making the mask was another story altogether. The creator of the mask, Keo, shares how its design came to be. But let me start at the beginning because as I mentioned before, Doom was very interested in maintaining his anonymity. And I immediately saw the benefit of that because we used to sit in the club at the bar and drink and nobody would even look twice at him. Nobody bothered us. And then he could throw on the mask, jump on stage and the whole crowd is like in awe and, and rhyming along with every lyric. So um, a lot of artists don't enjoy that kind of freedom. So the mask was important to him and um, because around the time when we were doing Operation Doomsday is around the time when uh, the Wu had come out and Ghostface wore a pantyhose, a stocking cap for I guess that was protect your neck. So at first Ghost um, was was a ghost. He, he, he didn't reveal his, his features. And Doom was like, yo, I, I like that. I want to do that. And he decided he wanted to build out something a little more permanent. So he wanted something unique and something that spoke to the metal face persona. So the first thing we comped was, uh, you know, these Halloween masks with the rubber band in the back and it's plastic with a little mouth hole cut out and with what you wore when you were a kid. And I think we got it from the Chinese 99 cent store. And this is where the discrepancy came in. I thought it was Darth Maul from Star Wars because it was black with red stripes on it. But Katz corrected me and said it was some kind of wrestler. Anyway, there's some dude who had uh, black and red stripes on his face. So it didn't matter what the basis of it was because I cut it with a razor and we shaped it into a totally different form. I spray painted it silver metallic with Rust-Oleum and then I began to draw into it. I cut the eye holes square, I cut the mouth out and, and I began to work over it with black ink, permanent ink until we had uh, a semblance of a Dr. Doom type of mask, but different because it didn't have the lower mandible, the jaw piece. You know, um, Dr. Doom's mask was full face. And this one, it kind of cuts out at your top lip. So, so there's a first video, I want to say it's the one with Curious, the question mark joint where he's wearing that plastic mask. And the thing didn't last. You know, Doom is hard on, on shit. Like me, you know, I can't keep a pair of sneakers fresh for a day. That wasn't built to last. And I got the idea, why don't we buy a suit of armor? Like a uh, medieval 
times and work from that. And we were looking for that and we wound up in, um, I guess the East Village Forbidden Planet. There was a movie had just come out with Russell Crowe called Gladiator. And they had the thing in the window. It was the helmet from Gladiator that had a movable faceplate. You could lift it up and down. And, you know, it was like stainless steel, thick, heavy. Um, the whole contraption probably weighed 25 pounds. So I just removed the faceplate and I took it to a cat who, who um, was a German sculptor and had the welding tools that, that uh, lived on 2nd Avenue at the time in the East Village had a welding studio, oxyacetylene, cutting torches and all that stuff. And I just marked on it where I wanted him to make certain modifications with a Sharpie. And he cut those out and then I had to sand it down smooth, get all the burrs off. And so we had the face plate. And then I had to figure out how to mount it so it stayed on his head. And you know the construction helmets? Uh, it's like a yellow plastic helmet, but it doesn't sit directly on your head. There's a, a webbing inside that's like a fitted cap where you can snap different sizes. I took the webbing out and I put two screw holes through the temples of the mask and put a hinge, a screw into the webbing from a construction helmet. So now you had like a fitted cap in the back of this metal plate. And it also turned out to be an amazing weapon. You know, Doom was very into uh, martial arts weapons, Kung Fu flicks. And, you know, he used to bring, a, you know what a, a three-piece staff looks like? <laughs> the, 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 the huge nunchucks. True. He used to bring that to shows with him, you know what I mean? And machete swords and all kind of shit. So once he figured out that this mask, um, if you held it by the strap in the back, it basically had two like walrus tusks that were um, sharp and it weighed a lot. So there were times where cats tried to rush the stage or there was beef and he would just clunk. And then to make it even, even deeper, he got a metal case like something a secret agent would carry, you know what I mean? Where you handcuff it to your wrist. So now he had this heavy metal case that I saw more than one cat jump up and get knocked out, either with the mask or with the mask inside of the metal case. But it became a, like a blunt object, you know? Now Doom and his image as the villain and the mask is complete and Operation Doomsday is out to both critical and fan success. Here's Del the Funky Homo Sapien to share his thoughts. Yeah, the first time I heard Operation Doomsday, I kind of got that same feel I got from listening to uh, KMD first album, you know what I'm saying? Kind of that same kind of feel, kind of like rough texture too. You know what I'm saying? Kind of patched together, but you know, just iller. I, but I could see what was coming. Like, 
that was like the beginning. I could see it was kind of rough around the edges, but I seen what it could be later, you know what I mean? But everybody else around me was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, yeah, 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 that's that's what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, that's just a continuation, you feel me? There are a lot of people though, they like bugging out, like, who is this, who is this? They have no idea. It's, to, to them, it's like a brand new person, you know what I'm saying? So he really did freak that. He brought himself back bigger, I, I would say bigger than he was with KMB, to tell you the truth. After Operation Doomsday was released, not only did Doom start to evolve, but so did The Mask. Here's Keo to explain. Because he would drink Jack Daniels and then spit, the thing got rusty and corroded around the mouthpiece. And it's, it's funny because if you go back through the videos and the publicity stills or the, the album covers, you can see The Mask in various stages of rust so he got it chromed so he took it to like an auto body type of place and got it re-chromed and added a ruby right where the third eye would be where your pineal gland is and he understood the science of gems and herbs and how these things vibrations so he added certain um gemstones and metals inside of the mask that would uh, vibrate you know <laughs> in a way that increased his his powers and the ruby was real important to him in the next episode of Did I Ever Tell You The One About MF Doom we talked to Jason DeMarco the former head of talent for Comedy Central's Adult Swim Jason shares his memories of making music and animation history with Doom, including the famous Santa Doom story. Did I ever tell you the one about MF Doom podcast is a timeless podcast company production. Executive produced by Chantel Barron, Michael Barron, and Eric DJ Eclipse Wynn. Co-produced and mixed by Brett Epignazer. Sound design and sound editing by Nick Digler Davila. Research Director, Miles J. Barron. Senior Creative Director, Martin Orton for Poison Pen Graphics. Graphic Design Director, Shai Harari for H1 Media. Featuring Ben Klingon, Dell of the Hieroglyphics Crew, Dimbaza Dumale, Dinko D of Leaders of the New School, Graham Puba Maxwell, Jason DeMarco, Just Blaze, Curious George, Kadi, Lionel the Vid Kid Martin, Lord Jamal, Lord Seer, Miles Brown, MF Grimm, Milo from Leaders of the New School, Onyx the Birthstone Kid of KMD, Prince Power Rule, Ralph McDaniels, Talib Kwali, Tanji Dumale, Tom Brown, Wild Child, Yasin Bey, and Young Guru. Special thanks to the city of Long Beach, Mark Healy in the Rockaway Wave, Far Rockaway Queens, New York, Brandon G, Tom Wheelie, Ben King, Stephen S. Sidman, and Video Music Box. Timeless podcast sound design voiceover, Tembisa Mashaka. Music cues and scoring for this podcast have been provided by Portal. That's P-R-T-L. Music comes in all vibes, so lo-fi should too. Welcome to Portal, the world's first lo-fi music in all genres for all types of music fans. Whether you love hip-hop, reggaeton, country, alt-rock, EDM, or even basso, Portal has lo-fi vibes to match your music tastes. Find Portal on YouTube or Spotify or anywhere you listen to lo-fi. Portal, P-R-T-L. 
lo-fi for every vibe. 